Welcome to the Hamumu Halloween Home Horror Hoedown, the podcast where we watch scary movies so you don't have to. From award-winning to completely unknown, we take them all way too seriously. I'm your host, Mike Hommel. And I'm your host, Solange Hommel. Now warning, we use a ghoulish number of spoilers, so watch the movies first. Second warning, we don't know anything about anything, so don't take us seriously as we take these movies seriously. Ring, 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 ring. Hello? This is a dead child calling you. (laughs) Sorry to be laughing at you, dead child. That's probably a little rude. Whatever. I don't remember anything anyway. I don't know who I am. Why are you calling me on this black phone from 2022? Because I'm going to mysteriously help you escape from this bad guy by some sort of weird time travel thing that's not really time travel. It doesn't make any sense. Wow. This (laughs) podcast is 10 seconds in and it's all spoilers to the brim. Filled up. Anyone who listens to our podcast knows that they should watch the movie first if they intend to watch the movie. It says that right in the intro. It really does. So at the end, the grabber gets beaten up. He does. By Finn or Finny, Mm -hmm. who... It's very overtly expressed that he is fully capable of being a fighter, but he is just too gentle. He's just a gentle giant. It was like, like his character was like the male equivalent of the Mary Sue. Like a Mary Sue is a very specific female character that is just so stereotypical in how she does things, right? And well, she's she's perfect, right? But you know, yeah, perfect, and like in very specific ways, right? Like knows how to do things that she shouldn't know how to do, and things like that, right? Uh, yeah, I guess capable of being the heroine without any practice. I like I always kind of feel like a Mary Sue also tends to have that like girl next door, not <laughs> like other girls kind of thing <laughs> yeah, going for her. I think that's true. Um, Is he not like other boys? He's not like other boys. Like, he's not a bully like the other boys. He doesn't fight. He, what does his friend say? He doesn't throw a punch, but he knows how to take a punch. Mm-hmm. But underneath it all, he's really, he's got all that courage and strength and whatever. And so when it really is needed, it all comes out of him. And he is able to defeat a whole grown serial killer man. With a, with, with a phone. Well, I was going to say with the help of several dead kids. Well, there's that, but they weren't doing anything. They gave him all the tips. It was like reading a strategy guide. I don't know. He just seemed to be too perfect. Yeah, I guess I see that. I just think it was it was a weird story because like one of my notes was just that this kid just has a ton of support. He's Mm -hmm. got a psychic sister who's out there looking for him. The cops are desperately trying to find him, which I guess is normal. The cops are so desperate that they're just fully on board (laughs) with this 10-year-old girl who's like, I have magic dreams. They're They're like, tell us about it. They're like, they're like, 
please, please tell us about your dreams. We've got to know what everything about your dreams so we can find this kid. I don't think they knew, like, I don't think they were quite like that at first. I think they thought she actually knew something or had seen something. But then they were just like, oh, your dream says to go to 7741. Let's do it. Let's get going. Let's go. But yeah, he was, I mean, he didn't have to be like a super great talented person because he had so many people just helping him out on this little journey. He almost got away in the middle. So here is a thought that I had a little while ago and then just suddenly rehad because I had forgotten it. Like, because while I was watching this movie, I was super annoyed by the fact that he was getting these phone calls from these dead kids who had been in this room before him, and they were telling him, like, oh, do this, do that, no, you know, you should know this piece of information. Like, they were telling him all the things he needed to know to get out. Yeah. And I was super annoyed because if the previous dead kid had pulled the cord out from under the wall and used it to do whatever. Why is the cord still under the wall? It was mysterious. So I realized it was all in his head. This, these, this were, these were the guys that he knew, the other kids that he knew, and he was making up like in his brain, his super smart brain was telling him to find these things around the... place and do these things okay that's a good thought and i think that's a fun interpretation except when it comes to breaking the wall down which didn't seem physically possible to me but he definitely did it hammered through that concrete wall with the top of a toilet lid which feels like it would have shattered i know that porcelain would have (laughs) Fallen apart immediately. I don't, but I don't know. Anyway, he hammered through there to get into a fridge in a storage room that he was told was there, and it was. And the back of that fridge was a thin piece of metal that was just screwed on, and if you took that thin piece of metal off, you were in the fridge. So that was a really inefficient fridge. It's very inefficient. Well, it's meant to be placed right up against a wall, so the right wall up against helps a concrete wall. It. Yeah. Yeah, I see your point, but that piece was also the piece where I was like, this didn't happen before. It's not, this this grabber guy didn't have a teenage boy in here a few weeks back who smashed up the toilet, smashed through the wall, disassembled the refrigerator, etc. And then when he's getting ready to get his next kid in there, he put another toilet in. He fixed the wall. Left the fridge exactly where it was. <laughs> yeah. Patched up the wall. Neither neither scenario that, makes any sense. That whole sense. thing about smashing the wall apart and when it's a concrete wall is just I know concrete's brittle and you can definitely, you know, get pieces of it out, but You know what's more brittle than concrete? Porcelain. Porcelain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's like Again, Doctor Who has given an ironic response to this movie on the same night we watched it. In this case, Doctor Who went and had to punch his way through something that's 400 times harder than Diamond. And it took him a billion years. It took him several billion, I think. (laughs) And it just had to punch one time after another. That's how you get through a concrete wall, is you're in jail for 10 years, and you're scraping a little bit at a time. Yeah. I don't, he didn't do that in, in an afternoon. 
No. He didn't do any of it in an afternoon. And also, why was this kid why was this guy kidnapping kids and then just leaving them unsupervised totally to run around in his basement and like take it apart and find all the well, things? Yeah, and they're not chained up or anything. They're just freewheeling. Yeah, it didn't it didn't make a lot of sense. And I mean I guess there was the explanation that that the grabber was upstairs at the top of the stairs eagerly awaiting the kid trying to escape so that he could punish him for being a naughty boy mm-hmm. that was that was part of his game so i guess like he wanted them to be doing things but also he didn't come down and check how did he not know that there was a hole in the hallway <laughs> under that tarp it clearly wasn't a hallway that he was walking on to come down and bring the kid food no. Why was there a whole extra hallway for this kid to run around in? No, the hallway where the hole was, was like, it was part of the room the kid was in. It was a big rectangular room, and then it had that skinny hallway-shaped piece that went off to the toilet. It was like a, a bathroom, but with no door. That's where he dug up, was in the, right right in front of the toilet is what he dug up. I see. And he managed to dig a, like, four-foot hole. It was huge. Yeah. Because the guy fell in it and hurt his ankle on the grate that he managed to pull off the wall, which the guy never noticed that either, apparently. True. He did not notice that the uh, grating was gone from the window. I just... The whole thing... I'm like, this is the most ineffective serial killer kidnapper ever. Like, he just wasn't scary. Yeah. Because he didn't do anything. Well, I mean, that was part of the story, though, was that... He normally, you know, like you said, he waits for them when they naughtily... Is naughtily a word? Naughtily? When they naughtily try to escape, (laughs) he beats them until they're unconscious and then kills them later. Yeah. And that was kind of how Finny was a special boy, is that he never was doing the naughty thing, which was actually because the ghost kids were telling him what to do. Okay, I'm still on. I still think the ghost kids didn't really exist, uh-huh. which brings us to the part of this movie that I, I don't want to say I liked it, but that I thought was interesting and that I thought was well done. Like I, I liked the way it worked in the story. I think what saved Finn is that he had been living in a household with his abusive, alcoholic, enraged monster of a father, mm-hmm. and so he knew how to like tiptoe around someone who was sleeping in the middle of a room that and he wasn't supposed to disturb them and he knew how to take a punch and Mm. like the grabber's got his belt and he wants to beat him with it and that's not i mean i'm not saying that finn like wanted to get hit by the belt or anything but he knew he could survive that i don't think he had the same like fear of the things that the grabber did and he also knew how to not make an irrational angry adult human male angry like that he he had been trained for this he was prepared it's like it's a cross between split and signs (laughs) well it's funny that you mentioned split because much like how I was not thrilled with the message of Split, I don't love that the message of this uh, that I'm presenting for this movie is like it's okay that you have an alcoholic father who abuses you. It's just making you stronger for the real world. Yeah, it's I don't love that. Able to handle serial killers. Yeah, it feels like the movie didn't make a lot of that 
connection showing you know that he had these skills because of this but I, I can see how it's it's there. It spent so much time talking about and showing how, what a monster his dad yeah. was that, like, in comparison, and I have to think, okay, there are two options. Either Joe Hill doesn't understand how to build tension and work toward a climax of a story, or it was intentionally set up that his dad was so much scarier than the grabber. Like when you think about just watching the scenes, I mean, we see horrible things that his dad does. Mm -hmm. And the grabber, I mean, at the end, he gets nasty, but really like he is super mellow compared to what his dad is. He keeps trying to come off as very harmless. That's kind of his thing. So yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. I don't know. I thought that part was interesting. And I noticed, like, I saw a lot of parallels between how Joe Hill writes and how Stephen King writes in that sort of thing. Like, there are certain things where I was like, oh, hmm, this is either because he read a lot of his dad's books or because there's some kind of genetic predisposition (laughs) to focusing on coming-of-age stories and abusive fathers and, you know, like, certain other things that King writes about a lot. Well, and the 70s nostalgia and... Right. Well, right. It was definitely like, I'm going to set this story in the era of my youth, of my own coming of age. Yeah. I think that's a fairly common thing for writers to do, especially white male writers. But this movie really especially was doing that like aggressively. Like it Mm -hmm. wasn't just set in the 70s. It was... It was like Stranger Things, but 10 years earlier, yeah. you know, it had all the plucky kids and even the kind of Stranger Thingsy music and, and like the, the bullies attacking them and stuff. Like it felt like it. It definitely felt like it mm-hmm. in that, all of that stuff for sure, for sure. And Gwen riding her bike around, that feels like it. Bill, mm-hmm. what's his name with his bike? Hi-ho Silver. Well, and then she goes out in her little Georgie outfit in the rain. Well, and I don't know if, like, I wonder if that was in the story or if that was, like, when they made the movie, they're like, we're going to throw this little homage to Stephen King in there. Yeah, probably. As Joe Hill is saying, you know, I changed my last name for a reason. (laughs) Yes, and Joe Hill wrote the story that this movie is based on. Yes. The other big, like, plot hole that I found was Finn is, like, the fifth kid to go missing something like that in what is shown to be a very small town like it made me feel like the it was the size of the town i grew up in we had like less than 100 kids in our graduating class like was it because they all got taken (laughs) (laughs) so it felt like a very small town five kids have gone missing and the cops are just like i don't know even though there's a weirdo part-time magician <laughs> who has black balloons as part of his act and drives a creepy black van around town. And even in a town the size of what we live in now, which is not a town, it's a city, Yeah, you would know about this dude and he'd be the first person you'd be asking, like, where were you when these kids disappeared? Maybe he had good answers. He's a smart guy. Is he, though? I don't know. So, I don't know. I don't understand why this guy was able to just drive around town stealing kids 
in broad daylight. Yeah. And no one His brother is a smart guy, though. He was investigating the crime. And by the very end, he had figured out, well, he had had a theory. And he went and looked in the basement and he Mm -hmm. found Finn. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. How? How did all of that happen in the same house that this brother was living in? Like, Finn walked through the kitchen and... How does he, his brother's not curious about the padlock on the front door? Well, that is the weirdest part. Okay, padlock on the front door. When the cops showed up, there was no padlock. They just, he would just open the door and they came in and he was just hanging out there. Maybe I'm confused about which house. So, because he had two houses. Which is an issue for me. Which house did they live in? They were right across the street from each other. Which house did the brothers live in? The house with the dead bodies or the house with the live kidnapped bodies? That, okay, I think they made it clear because they said an empty house where he put the bodies. So I believe that the grabber and his brother both lived in the house where he was keeping the kid, which is crazy. Put the kid in the empty house. Right? Put the bodies in the house your brother lives in. He doesn't go in the basement. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, yeah, the whole geography of this house didn't make any sense because things were like, I don't know, like, Finn would come up from the basement, and that's where the grabber was waiting for him to beat him. Was that the upstairs kitchen, or was there another floor above that? Because Max was always like, oh, my brother's down there. I don't know what he's up to. Like, it seemed like they were on two separate levels, but they it also seemed like that was above ground, so... Yeah, I, I don't know. It. I agree with you. The, the landscape of the house <laughs> doesn't make any sense. And maybe the big twist that we didn't get was that they are living in separate houses... But then that's there, not what they said, though. Yeah, and there was like there was a bit where like his brother's like, "Hey, what's going on with all this noise?" And he yells up at him, "Oh, it's just the dog barking. He's upset." Uh, see, I wasn't looking at the screen when that happened. Was he yelling from the kitchen or from the basement? I think he was on the stairs. I don't know. Hmm. So it's not good. Also, his brother at no point was curious about why they had a hellhound living in their house. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that dog looked CGI'd. It was so... It was a scary dog. Intense. I don't know. But I don't then, know. okay, we are discussing the fact that they had two houses. Mm-hmm. Why? I mean, great and all. Some people have two houses. Sometimes they're right across the street from each other. Sure. But... What purpose did that serve in the story? Because there was like there was a lot of confusion about it at the very end of the movie, but none of it was like, ooh, surprise mislead. It was a surprise mislead, though, because the houses looked identical. Mm-hmm. And so Gwen was having her dreams where she saw the house. So I think that was the whole idea was that like she saw the number because the one dead kid came to her in a dream and beat some guys up at a grocery store and then carved the num- the street yeah. number into somebody's arm, which was a whole weird situation. So she finds that house and she's like, this is the house. This is what it looks like. And the cops come and they're like, nope, there's nobody here. And that was supposed to be like the, oh, where is he? Because we were supposed yeah. to think he was in that house. But that was the house with the dead kids. Yeah, that's the problem is because they went in there on her 
mystical urging. Yeah, they just busted down the door. <laughs> yeah, completely. Went into an empty house with no, well, I assume, no warrant. They go in and pretty quickly they discover, hey, there's a basement down here. And they go and look and they find that these are where the bodies are. So yes, they didn't find him, but he was getting out anyway. So it's like the story is missing that piece. I think they didn't find him, but he had to get out anyway on his own because that was the whole point of the story was that, you know, Magic Finn, you know, can take care of himself, even though he has not done that at all at any point in his life. He's able to stand up for himself. So they couldn't rescue him. He had to do it himself. He had to kill somebody mm-hmm. in order for this story to work. But they had to be... I mean, I think in order to make the tension of the story work, you had to think that they had to save him and that they were going to be too late because but you they went to the wrong that house. Because the houses looked the same. We were fooled. So we didn't think they were too late until it was too late and Finn was already out. Well, no, there was a moment where if I hadn't known that Finn had already killed the grabber, and I don't actually remember how it all came out, but like when they get there and they're like, oh, there's just bodies here in the basement. And you're like, wait a minute, that's not the basement that he's in. (gasps) This, this, I thought this was the house. And you think maybe they're going to be too late because they're not going to find the house. Like, somehow all of this information we've been getting has just been about the dead kids and not about him. And you don't know that the other house is right across the street until after that. And his sister is looking and he comes out of the door. She didn't even realize. Like, how was she looking at the house across the street and not going, huh, (laughs) that house looks just like the one in my dream too. Yeah. It was funny to me because there were a couple scenes where she and sometimes her dad were going around the neighborhood like looking for the house that she said she had seen in her dreams Mm -hmm. and before that point i had seen the street number on it i couldn't read it but it was there like she had had a vision of the front of the house it had a street number on it Mm. and i'm like okay she's a little kid she's looking around at random her dad knows that the numbers go up and down. He knows where to look to find this house. Right. Get up. Bust out a map, man. But apparently she didn't actually know what the street number I was. I guess not. She can't read numbers. Except that the cops were at that house because they talked to the brother. They talked to Max. I know. And they were like, he was so obnoxious about wanting to help them that they were like, okay, never mind, man. We're, we're just going to go. Yeah. Which... When I thought that he and his brother were the same person, I thought that was very clever of him. Yeah, that was interesting. To be, like, so helpful that the cops are just like, "Mm, no. Because that must have been before they knew about how serial killers tend to like to insert themselves in the investigation. Indeed. Because my thought... That's why I thought they were the same. Yes. Yes. (laughs) That's why I thought they were the same. I was like, oh... Oh, this is classic, classic unsub behavior. It is indeed. But all of that stuff, the multiple houses, the multiple brothers, where each one lived, it was all this extra confusion that didn't feel warranted. Like it wasn't a part, it never factored into Finney's escape situation at all. Like you said, he Mm -hmm. had at least knocked the guy on the grabber unconscious before he came up not sure if he's dead or not but you know finney got himself out of that house without the help of any cops or anybody 
So he was fine. He could have walked home at that point, but they found him. And it, mm-hmm. it was like, why did we do all of that stuff when it was just not a part of the conflict? Yeah. So, wait, so did the grabber die? Because, oh, yeah, because Finn has a great arm oh, and he, like, right. snaps his neck with it. Yeah, which after is, wow. all the dead kids. So, another interesting part of it was that the phone really did ring because the grabber also heard it ring. Well, they said before that that he would hear it ring throughout. Yes. Even before Finn got there. And that he, like, that it really rings and he's like, I don't know, I think it's like static electricity or something. And, but that the kids, the other kids said that they couldn't hear the ringing. Yeah. So there's like this interesting piece about how Finn and the grabber have this thing in common. And so Mm -hmm. then when Finn has broken the grabber's ankle and has beat him with the phone receiver and had tied a cord around his neck and stuff like that phone cord yeah then the phone is ringing and he like holds the phone to his head and is like it's for you and then all the dead kids are saying all their like lines that's another one i (laughs) i hate to keep doing it but like so clever bit was that each of the kids almost had a line that they had previously said mm-hmm. to Finn that worked that worked in mm-hmm. this scenario talking to the grabber one was like this is the day you die or mm-hmm. something and it made sense when he was talking to Finn and now it was like haha it was like gotcha mm-hmm. for the grabber first of all one or two of them didn't make sense for the grabber they were just like nah, whatever and second of all they weren't they weren't that connected like they should have been like it should have been perfect. That wouldn't have been hard to write. You know, just like, oh, this this perfect line from them to him. There were there were a couple of them that were, but then like, you know, his arm is mint, whatever. It was weird. Well, it was cuz I mean, I I kind of liked that because Bruce said your arm is mint after a game. And then that was how he knew that it was Bruce. Bruce didn't know who he was because apparently when you die, you forget your name. Yeah. But he said, you know, we met once, your arm was mint. And he was like, oh, I know who you are. And then saying your arm is mint right before he uses his arm to break his neck. What bothered me about that was he didn't say the exact words he said to Finn. He said, you know, he he used different words. Mm, pronouns mm-hmm. because he was talking to the grabber about Finn. Well, so did Robin because Robin That's when annoying. he was when he was talking to Finn was like I can't get revenge so you you're going to do it for me and then yeah. when he was talking to the grabber he was like I can't get revenge so Finn's going to do it for me. Yeah, and Which that bothered me. All feeds into the whole like this was all happening in Finn's mind. He like these ghosts didn't exist. They were just Yeah. It was like Tom, the girl who loved Tom Gordon, right? Like, she's lost in the mountains, and she's... Talking to Tom Gordon. Yeah. Yeah. I, that makes sense. 
and I like that, but I I didn't like the writing of it. Like yeah. they should have had exact like not even they shouldn't have even said it another time. They should have replayed the exact sound yeah. that had been in the earlier conversation. I mean, I think I think overall our main complaint is the writing of it, which is kind of sad for Joe Hill. So I do want to say, despite the fact that I just spent this whole, whole episode trashing on this story, I found it entertaining. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed watching it. It was a mellow horror. It had a story. It had some plot holes. But honestly, it's one of those movies where if you just don't think about it too hard, it, it looks like it holds together. It's just when you start going, wait, there's this one little thread here, and you mm-hmm. start pulling at it, and then pretty soon the whole thing is unraveled on the floor. So if you if you watch it and you're just like, I'm going to suspend disbelief, and I'm just going to enjoy this story as it's presented to me, it's really fun. I, I thought it was really fun. That being said, when there's a story that you have to like stand way, way back from <laughs> so that you don't notice all the loose ends that you don't aren't supposed to pull... Like, that's kind of a problem with the writing. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm not saying I could have done any better, <laughs> but Joe Hill is is no Stephen King. I mean, maybe his story is perfect because this is a screenplay based on his story. That is very possible, too. For all we know. That is very possible. So, I mean, I guess that's pretty much all I have to say for the review part is, I, despite the fact that I complained about it, maybe because it had so many things for me to, like pick at and talk about and discuss Mm -hmm. i enjoyed it i liked this movie i'm glad i watched it i would recommend it to other people who like kind of milder horror although you should be aware that there is like some serious child abuse in it yeah so i am going to give this movie three and a half frowny masks out of five and it's a strong three and a half hmm that's pretty strong considering the <laughs> rampaging rants of the I know. first part of this podcast. I know. But it was, I don't know, I guess there were a lot of things, but none of them made made me not enjoy watching the movie. <laughs> they just made it more fun to talk about it afterwards. Hmm. Very positive. I actually have pretty similar feelings. I just want to note that throughout the movie, you and I were talking out loud like we do with some movies. Uh-huh. Because so much in this movie was confusing and poorly written and a, a hole like right. like the fact that he dug his way through a wall and dug a 20 foot trench in the floor and all of that stuff and oh my gosh the fact that these this room had reset itself somehow <laughs> like the kid calls him up and goes i dug this trench down into the floor and so you know go dig there and like Maybe you did, but he completely replaced it. But then he put the same broken tile yeah, back on so that tiles. you can do the same thing that I did. And he's not going to check. He didn't put new tiles he down. He didn't learn anything. It's super weird. And the kid, the other kid stole the cable from under the wall over there, but then apparently shoved it right back in. I don't have any idea what they intended with that. And that's the thing with the movie is that... That makes it worse than a lot of other things is that it had those huge gaps to where I can't even figure out what they meant to do. Yeah. It's really weird. But that being said, it looks and feels like a very good movie. Like 
it makes you feel like it's going well mm-hmm. as long as you don't pay attention to those things, like you mm-hmm. said. Except it's hard to pull your head away from it far enough. Oh, also, there's the fact that he only actually won against the grabber because the grabber apparently is incapable of having both the top and the bottom of his face uncovered at the same time. <laughs> yes. Because the grabber had him. He was done for and he took the grabber's mask off and it, that stopped him in his tracks like he let go of Finn he grabbed his face I'm like good thing he was a like face never nude because <laughs> yes that was. was what saved Finn and I I'm okay with that because that was like him being crazy which we knew it was uh, it was kind of cool like you know we had seen him only in these masks and in various arrangements of them and so i I like the idea that you know ripping it off freaked him out so i I was cool with that and that speaks to the end of it which is you know i mentioned signs earlier it's got that same idea as signs where each of the things the boys told him Mm -hmm. they were intended to get him to escape but it turned out each one of the things he had to do to try those different escapes was useful in defeating the grabber at mm-hmm. the end, which was, it was cool. That was a good concept, but again, full of lots of holes. And that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of the whole movie. It was a good idea. It was well executed, but it was full of holes mm-hmm. immensely. And for that, I give it three frowny face masks out of five. Okay. Because I, I did enjoy it and I thought it was good, but I still ended up angry throughout Mm -hmm. (laughs) with these issues. Okay. I totally forgot the thing that made me the most angry at the end. Oh, let's get more angry. Okay. So the whole point of the story is that Finn finds his confidence, finds his self-worth, whatever, like defends himself, right? That's the whole point of the story. And it is so clearly established throughout the whole thing that the thing he really needs to defeat is his abusive father, right? Like, that's the whole point. The whole kidnapping is just a metaphor (laughs) for what he's dealing with in his real life. So he defeats the kidnapper. He kills the kidnapper with his bare hands. (laughs) Well, he used a phone. And his arm. (laughs) Yeah. And then he gets out of the house, and the dad finally shows up. And the, you know, the two kids are in the ambulance and the dad shows up. And all that happens is that the dad begs their forgiveness on bended knee. Mm-hmm. And the kids just kind of look at him. And I'm like, that was the most anticlimactic yeah. climax. Because that that was, I mean, I know it wasn't the climax of the story. But like it was so anticlimactic to have him not have to confront. Like... I needed him to have a moment where he could say, we're not doing this anymore. This is over. Like, you don't, you don't get to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And he didn't get that. There was no confrontation. His dad apparently just was all better now. Maybe. His dad was trying to be better. Well, and again, yeah. And so that I felt very unsatisfied by that. I wanted him to have a confrontation with his dad and for his dad to be like, oh, yeah, okay, well, can't do that anymore. Yeah, I can see that. 
But also, there's the realism of it's not just better and they don't know how to handle that situation just because they know how to beat people to death with a phone. I guess. I did have, I did think like, oh, this part is real where the alcoholic dad shows up and is all like, I'm so sorry. I love you so much. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I was like, mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Till the next time you get a bottle in your hand. Yeah. So, Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I wanted more from that piece of it. Yeah, understandably. I mean, there, there was just so many things like that that yeah. were just flawed in the story. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm sure the movie we watch next week will have no flaws. It will be perfection. Mwah. Mwah. Ciao, everybody. Okay, bye. The record button worked successfully without crashing the software.